Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525 welcome to yesterday today and tomorrow with your host in sung kim sponsored by hope in mission llc to connect with the show go to insungkim.org that's i n s e o n g k i m .org or listen to Insung on oneplace.com. And now it's time for yesterday, today, and tomorrow with your host, Insung Kim. Hello, this is Insung Kim from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And especially after COVID, we have so many uh, families having a caregiver. We're care, uh, giving caregiver to the family members and um, or other um, uh, related people, uh, the loved one. And so we have a special, special guest, and it's a Peter Rosenberger, is author and syndicated radio host, and who is considering himself as fluent in caregiver as he ministers to the 65 million people in the United States struggling to care for the loved one. And um, he has done for 37 years for his wife, uh, Gracie. And thank you so much for being with us. It is a treat to be with you, Insung, and thank you for having me. Yeah, thank you so much. And, oh, wow. Um, Just please share with us about... uh, how you uh, just um, got into this, writing a book about this caregiver. Well, first off, I became a caregiver over 37 years ago when I got married. I said, I do, and now I do. (laughs) And I did. And uh, my wife had a terrible car accident 40 years ago when she was a freshman at Belmont University in Nashville. To date that I can count, She's had 85-plus operations. We're getting ready to have her 86 that I can count um, in September. And it's a, a very big operation. She's lost both legs. She's had 100-plus uh, doctors have treated her in 13 different hospitals. And this just continues to grow and expand, and it's uh, there's really quite truthfully no end in sight for her. She has a very difficult life. I, along with her, joined in that life, and we say, okay, well, what does that look like for me to care for her, and how do I stay healthy while taking care of her? What do all those things look like? And that's when I started exploring the opportunity of how to help a caregiver. And I remember a a counselor I talked to one time, she said, I'd recommend a book for you to read, but you're the guy to write it. So I wrote it. And I wrote the book for caregivers. And that's what this newest book is about, but it's it's called A Minute for Caregivers When Every Day Feels Like Monday, because so much of us, uh, so many of us wake up as caregivers every day, and it's going to be 
filled with challenges that day. We're going to have a lot of extra work. We're going to have um, chores and tasks around the house, doctor visits, um, you know, appointments. We've got to schedule things. We've got to do things. We're going to deal with somebody who may be dealing with uh, severe pain. You may have somebody in your life who is an addict or an alcoholic. You may have a special needs child. You may have an aging parent. Whatever the chronic impairment, there's always a caregiver. Yeah, yeah. I mean, especially after COVID. Um, and people. Well, COVID, 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 I don't know that was really. I mean, my life didn't change a whole lot with COVID. Okay. I mean, my wife, my wife got COVID mm. during that time. But, but again, I've been taking care of a sick wife since Ronald Reagan was president. Oh, so wow. COVID yeah. was an annoyance. Because it required everybody to kind of go into mask panic. We all got to wear 16 different masks and everything else. Mm. But it created hardships on going to the hospital and doctors and dealing with the normal stuff that family caregivers have to deal with. So many of us have to deal with. Uh, but one thing that COVID did teach us is the destructive power of isolation. Mm. What happens when we're cut off from others? And we as a society now have seen just how brutal that journey is to be isolated. Family caregivers understand isolation. Disease, illness, um, you know, a mental illness and, and addiction, all those kinds of things are isolating. Mm-hmm. And so many caregivers can feel isolated in a crowded room. We can feel emotionally isolated and physically isolated. And some of us can feel isolated in a crowded church. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, in in some cases, not all the cases, but after COVID, um, especially like my parents, uh, become more weaker. So it become a long-term kind of becoming a caregiver that I had to um, take care of them. So, yeah, not all the cases, but I think some uh, family can um, probably uh, witness that. But I was really amazed about your, your story it's just 37 years. That's a long time, right? Well, Scripture says that 38 years is a long time. Okay. If you go back and look at the Gospel of John, he saw that this guy had been there for 38 years at mm. the pool there. And, it said, and then his Scripture says that he knew he'd been there a long time. Even Scripture refers to 38 years is a long time. So I'm in my 38th year of caring for my wife. She has been hurt for over 40 years. Mm. So, yes, the Bible teaches us that even this, this amount of time, that's a long time. Mm-hmm. And it, 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 uh, Scripture affirms how difficult this is for us. And yet here we are. So what are we going to do? How are we going to live? Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's one of the things I tackle on my show and everything I write is, okay, what does it look like for us to live in the midst of this, because it's not going to change. We've been doing this for so long. I mean, this is not going to change. So how do we live a healthy life? Mm-hmm. Do we wait for Gracie to get, my wife is named Gracie, do we wait for Gracie to get better, mm-hmm. and then we can go live a healthy life? Is that how it works? Well, no. So we have to learn to live in it. We had to learn to be married and have children, and now we have grandchildren. We you know, make a living. Somebody's got to make a living. I mean, you can only bring meals to somebody for so long before somebody's got to learn how to cook. Mm, yeah, that's and, right. Yeah. And so you, know, you, you have to live life with our challenges. Mm-hmm. Can we do that in a way that is 
healthy and honors God and, and cares for one another? Or are we going to just be bitter and mean and frightful? And I mean, uh, frightened and, and all of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, challenges and pain are unavoidable. Mm-hmm. But misery is a choice. Joy is a choice. And that's where Grace and I have had to learn to live, that we're going to learn to live and be joyful in the midst of this. Yeah, that was, um, I shared uh, last week to my program, one of the many reasons I came to America is because I saw, in general, Americans are so joyful. I thought they had all have an amazing life. And then deeper that I know, learn about them is not, Everybody has a great life, but they have uh, overcame, overcoming uh, their uh, obstacles and difficulties, and they still express their joy. It, it just kind of blew my mind many times. Well, I don't know that I don't know that that's uh, unique to us as Americans, but I think it is unique to us as Christians. Yes, because we know that this is not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. If this was all there was in this world, then, yeah, I can see being miserable. Mm-hmm. All, if all my life, my wife's life in this world was, this is it. If she's just going to be in pain for the rest of her life, well, to, then, yeah, I can understand why people are the way they are. They just want to check out and they don't have any joy. But if we know that we have a Savior mm-hmm. and that we that, that He in, in eternity has a purpose for all of this, and we trust him with it. Well, that's a that's a game changer, mm-hmm. and that's that's the that's where the joy comes from. Knowing that we have a savior who understands us, he comforts us, he strengthens us, and has purpose in this. And one day we'll see that purpose. And until then, we trust him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, you mentioned that it's not all Americans, but uh, only Christians. But because of the American culture is um, deeply rooted in Christian culture for a long time. Even non-Christian has that character. I mean, probably you know this or not. They do because yeah, because this is a prosperous country. Yeah, where those principles of life and mm-hmm. liberty, individual liberty, not uh, the government free to do everything. We don't want the government having a lot of liberty. We want the people to have liberty. Mm-hmm. And we see what happens around the world when governments have all the freedoms and the people do not. We want the people to have the freedoms and the government to have limited freedom. That's the core tenet of American exceptionalism. Mm-hmm. It's not that we have exceptional DNA. Mm-hmm. We're not different as a people, as our blood and our bones and our our abilities to do things is that we have a belief that individuals have the responsibility and the right to live the kind of life mm-hmm. that they would choose to live. Yeah. And that's those things are rooted in Scripture. Mm-hmm. They're foundational in Scripture. And <clears throat> this country was founded after these, uh, the, the upheaval of the Reformation in Europe. And the people that founded this country came out of that, and they also knew that man's heart was exceedingly wicked. Mm-hmm. That's what Scripture teaches, that we are – you can't trust us. And that's why we have all these elaborate checks and balances in our Constitution to not trust uh, – the White House has to be looked at from by Congress, and the Supreme Court has to look at the uh, the 
the Congress and vice versa. Everybody has to have checks and balances. Otherwise, this thing will run amok. Mm-hmm. And that's what the foundational principles of this country are. Well, that, those things are rooted in our faith in the church, mm-hmm. is that we have accountability, we have responsibility, but we also have the great privilege of life, mm-hmm. life, life, mm-hmm. life. And so when you – one of the things that you have done on your show in song is, is how to promote life and to care for those folks who have been victimized by this deceitful thing that somehow we can go out and just destroy life mm-hmm. without any kind of consequences. Mm-hmm. And how many of your audience live with that heartbreak that they were deceived into doing something that they said, oh, yeah, just go ahead and destroy a life. There's no consequences. But there are consequences, aren't there, in some? Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I think we have to um, change back to uh, the celebrating the life culture because – We've been uh, deceived and and clouded with lies, and um, it's very contaminated right now. But I think there are still many Christians still sharing the joy. We should not um, lose our joy, and that's what enemy wants, right? It is indeed, and that's why Christ said he came, that your joy may be full. My wife has a hard life. She has both of her legs amputated. She is in pain all the time. And yet when she sings and when she speaks and when she interacts, you can tell this woman has joy that effuses from her because she understands how precious life is. And what we've done is we've created a culture of death. Well, if you don't like it, let's get rid of it. Let's abort it. Let's euthanize it. Let's alter it surgically so that we have a boy that doesn't want to be a boy. He thinks he wants to be a girl because somebody is teasing him for that or trying to entice him to this or vice versa. And we're, we're killing, we're promoting death and destruction, whereas Christ said, I came that you may have life and life more abundantly, that your joy may be full. And if we as Christians don't understand that, how in the world are we going to, is the world going to understand it? Mm-hmm. So it's, we, we must first get that in our hearts and our spirits. I'm my wife's sole caregiver. I take care of my wife through all the things that she deals with. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, the only, I'm, the, I'm the guy with her, the sole person. <laughs> how am I, how, how I going to do that if I'm miserable and bitter and resentful and and broke, if I don't have any money, if I'm fat, if I'm unhealthy, how am I going to do all those things? Mm-hmm. I have to, I have to change the way I think and realize I'm going to live life and I'm going to live it with gusto and excitement because mm-hmm. life is worth living. Wow. Yeah. I mean, I think your testimony is so powerful after we had a little conversation last week and I was I was so amazed about your story. It's not about one-time deal. For 37 years, every day, and every day. You're taking care of what? You get up and just all day and then go to sleep for 37 years. And how many doctors visit, did you say? Oh, I don't know how many visits, but I know uh, there's well over 100. A hundred physicians, well over a hundred physicians have treated her. I stopped counting at a hundred. Wow. And, and you know what? But but it's all good. It's okay. Mm. Because how much more has our Savior done for us? Mm. 
And, you know, scriptures teach us that the, the church is the bride of Christ. Mm-hmm. That's what the scriptures teach. Well, and, and that Christ is the bridegroom. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what that means? I have a Savior that knows what it's like to care for a wounded bride. Mm-hmm. Because the church is a wounded bride. We're a bunch of wounded people. And I have a Savior that knows what that's like. Just like I care for a wounded bride, my Savior cares for a wounded bride. And so the question is, am I going to do it with a glad heart, with excitement, with purpose, with with gratitude, or am I going to do it just bitter? And I confess in song, I've done it both ways. Yeah. I have made every kind of mistake you can make. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But here we are, and here you and I are having this conversation, and this is why I do what I do. This is why I do a radio show. This is why I write books. This is why I do it, because I have seen this and witnessed this in my own life, and I have a responsibility and a privilege to share it with others. Yes, yes. And a little bit uh, share with us your, your story a little bit more like last time we had a little conversations so audience can understand. So when you when you were in college, or how did you meet your wife? I met, I met my wife when— she came back from her car wreck. She was recovering, and I met her a couple of years after her car wreck. Mm. And uh, she still had her legs. She, she had um, she had, yeah. she had gone through about 20, 20 surgeries, twenty one surgeries by the time I met her. But she still wow. had her her legs. Mm. And then we got married, and and we had our first son. And then that accelerated the damage on her right leg, and she had that one amputated. And then she had our second son. And that accelerated the damage on her left leg, and she mm-hmm. had that one amputated. And um, but then the damage has been done to her back and everything else, and that's what we're having to deal with. So she lives with severe pain, mm-hmm. but she also lives with severe excitement. <laughs> she has a lot of excitement about life. Yeah. She is uh, my wife is an intense, uh, gregarious person. She when you meet her, you will not realize. I mean, you will not believe how much she has to care. Wow. But she, she's tough. I, I'm from the South in the United States, and so we have all kinds of crazy sayings. But, you know, I tell her she's tougher than train smoke, wow. stronger than elevator rope. So she is a tough gal, and she loves life. And when she sings, oh, my goodness, in song, you got to mm-hmm. hear her voice. She sings. She will belt it out, man. She is the, she's the real deal. Wow. Yeah. So how old was she when she met you? She was when she met me she was 19, I believe. And yeah, she was 19. Yeah. Uh getting ready to turn 20. Yeah, and uh, And um, yeah. We were children. We were just children and so. Yeah. We were children. We were babies. Yeah, and then she had accidents she, when she was 17, car accident. She correct. Mm. And then your friends introduced you to her? That's how you met, right? We had a lot of friends that kept saying we needed to meet each other. I had to convince her, though. Okay. Uh, I, had, I had to work hard to convince her to like me in song. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> wow. yeah, what a beautiful, beautiful story. I mean, it just... It's so uh, rare to hear this kind of beautiful story that actually the love of Christ is really displayed in real life. That's what we people well, are looking for. I will not take any credit for it because it was Christ and mm-hmm. Christ alone 
if left up to my own devices, I would have just made more of a mess of things. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we, we serve a gracious Savior. Yeah, and then you've been married 37 years? 37 years last week. Yeah, so that was happy. In fact, when we were talking, when we were talking last week, that was our anniversary. That's right. Yeah, happy, happy anniversary because I wanted to have a, a two show and and uh, well recorded because your story is incredibly powerful. For there are so many people struggling and um, depressed, and it just. Uh, but your story gave us a little more encouragement than how we should have attitude toward life. Well, this is what Scripture teaches us. Gracie and I choose to believe that. We have certainly had our brutal, brutal times, and they have been brutal, and still are. I mean, this is not over. We have very difficult things ahead of us. But what are we going to do? Are we going to sit there and just wring our hands and groan and moan, or are we going to learn to live life uh, with uh, gusto, with, with excitement, and with with what Scripture teaches us? You know, Paul Paul and Silas were in prison, and they were they had been beaten that day at around midnight, while sitting in the darkest of the prison, darkest part of the prison. They were singing hymns and praying around midnight that night. That's what Scripture teaches us. Well, what did they know about God that I need to know? Because <laughs> that's that's something right there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. It's just. Uh... I think the more we experience hardships, the more we realize the power of God, that we don't have it, that he empowers us to overcome, right? Well, he does. And I I look back at Alexander Shultzenitsyn, and he was in prison in that Russian gulag for 27 years. Mm. And afterwards, he looked back and he said, Bless you, prison, for there upon that rotting straw mattress, I learned that the goal of human existence is not prosperity, as we're told, but the maturity of the human soul. Hmm. And I think that it's it's not that hardships in themselves, but if we allow our hardships to drive us to God, to say, you know, to help us understand. C.S. Lewis says that suffering is God's megaphone, hmm. and and if we will yield those things to Him and relinquish our our desire to be bitter or to be in control because we're not in control but we think we are we desire to be and if we yield that to him god can do and does amazing things in the midst of even severe and harsh circumstances Mm. yeah and i think that's what non-believers looking for uh, from christians that whether we are the real deal, and whatever that what's in us spills out when the difficult time comes. And I think you are the one of the one of many Christians that that I hear um, that that all the people are looking for. And it's not a human power; it's a supernatural power to endure for thirty-seven years. And those are powerful, powerful uh, testimony. And we're going to talk about more next week about um, detail about encouraging the caregivers 
and how you minister those people and through the radio, through the books. So a lot of listeners who have the caregiver, who are the caregiver, can be encouraged. And I think those are those information can be so, resource can be so powerful. And thank you so much for uh, being with us and sharing your very intimate story. For 37 years, you took care of your wife. And I've been sharing it with my husband, and it was, it made me really cry uh, that beautiful story. You're very kind and very you're very gracious and you're very kind. Thank you, Insong, for that. And thank you for the privilege of being here with you. And um, and I look forward to our next conversation. If people want to know more, they can go out to hopeforthecaregiver.com. Okay. All right. Thank you so much for being with us. And we'll be back uh, with Mr. Rosenberger, Peter Rosenberger, for next week. Thank you for listening from yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And we'll be back. When I grow up, I want to work for a woke company. Like, super woke. When I grow up, when I grow up, I want to be hired based on what I look like rather than my skills. I want to be judged by my political beliefs. I want to get promoted based on my chromosomes. When I grow up, I want to be offended by my coworkers and walk around the office on eggshells and have my words policed by HR. Words like grandfather, peanut gallery, long time no see, no can do. When I grow up, I want to be obsessed with emotional safety and do workplace sensitivity training all day long. When I grow up, I want to climb the corporate ladder just by following the crowd. I want to be a conformist. I want to weaponize my pronouns. What are pronouns? It's time to grow up and get back to work. Introducing the number one woke-free job board in America, redballoon.work.